go make something that you like, uh, get good at that, you know, develop a skill set, and then start looking at, you know, how do I build my channel, things like that, how do I find an audience? I would say, uh, yeah, get the basics down, make something you love, and then your audience is going to start to find you, or you can start worrying about the other things. Hello and welcome to the Golden Hour Podcast, produced by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is cinematographer Jordan Drake. If you have ever searched for a camera review on YouTube, chances are you have seen Jordan's work. Jordan's background is in traditional filmmaking as a cinematographer, but about 10 years ago, Jordan, along with his colleague Chris Nichols, started a YouTube channel for Calgary's largest camera store called The Camera Store and grew a following of over 300,000 subscribers. The Camera Store TV was one of the few camera review YouTube channels, along with DigiRev TV and DSLR Video Shooter. Both Kai W and Caleb Pike, by the way, are friends of the show, and my interviews with them are in the back catalog of the Golden Hour podcast, by the way, if you want to listen to those after this show is over. And about two years ago, Jordan and Chris transitioned to DP Review and now find that YouTube channel as their home where they post reviews twice a week. Jordan not only shoots and edits all of the videos, but he also stars in the videos alongside Chris Nichols as the video expert. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to ask that you guys leave a rating and review in the Apple Podcast Player. It really helps us out and we greatly appreciate it. At the beginning of this interview, we speak with Jordan about a short film that he shot that is now released called A Walk Down to Water. It's a brilliant short film and I recommend you all check it out on filmshortage.com. I'll link the film in the show notes of this podcast. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Jordan Drake. So we've got the one and only uh, Jordan Drake from Camera Store. I mean, uh, DP Review TV. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I still I still do it two years later. <laughs> Jordan and I met, um, gosh, I guess two or three years ago at NAB in passing uh, at the very, w- wooden camera. Very passing. Yeah, I was running. I was late for a dinner, and it was like, hi, hi. Uh, yeah, I'll take that business card. All right, I'll catch up with you later. I, I hadn't seen your YouTube channel yet. And then it seems like we've been going back and forth on Twitter and comments and stuff for years. So this is definitely overdue. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I think when we met, I was just starting out. So, um, you know, no <laughs> offense taken that you didn't see any of my videos. Most people haven't. Um so, uh, yeah, but I mean, we've been friendly over Twitter for a while now, and uh, I'm excited to, to have this Let's conversation and uh, have a little chit-chat over, uh, over, the, over the Skypes. Um, so you just finished, or, or A Walk Down Water is a, a short film that you were the DP on, and I just watched it um, before our conversation here. Can you just briefly go over that before we get into all the YouTube stuff that, of course, we're going to get into as well? Tell me about this short film. Yeah, it's something that I DP'd going on almost two years ago now at this point, uh, and it's been playing the festival circuit for a little while. Uh, It's a film about uh, someone who runs a hotel and uh, walks into the room to find a body there. Uh, Someone's died in the room. And then what I found really interesting when the director pitched it to me is it takes place nearly in real time between when he finds the body and when the ambulance shows up. Um, And it shows a few different kind of opportunities for him to connect to someone but because 
he's just an employee as far as the people at the hotel are at, and he has no one to really relate to. Um, he's kind of isolated, and all the other characters in the film are a little bit isolated as well. So it's a uh, it's a concept that really appealed to me, kind of the the sort of film that I love watching. So yeah, it was a real treat to be able to be the DP on that. I don't get to do that that often, but uh, the director is a very good friend of mine, Levi Hallwell, who he's shot some camera store TV stuff. He's shot some DP review TV stuff. Um, so if he wants me on set, I'm always happy to go out and give him a hand. Well, it was a lot of fun to watch because I'm used to watching, um, you know, the YouTube stuff. And I know that you're a cinematographer and I've seen some of your work on the YouTube channel uh, with some of the short films that you've done through, you know, like by proxy of some sort of review of some sort. Um, but just seeing it, and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to watch Jordan's film. And then I completely forgot that you shot it. And I just got sucked into it. And halfway through, I was like, oh, yeah, Jordan shot this. This is great. <laughs> so uh, you did a fabulous job. And I just wanted to you know, applaud you on, on your cinematography on the film. I think it was really well done. The cinematography in terms of the uh, the camera movement, the uh, the handheld mixed with, you know, I don't know if it was gimbal or dolly or Steadicam or whatever, just everything was very intentional and every choice that you made in terms of, uh, you know, movement and lensing it all had a reason and it, it, you know, propelled the story forward. And I just wanted to say that you did a really great job on the cinematography. It didn't, I, I think sometimes people want to overdo it with uh, the cinematicness of it, if that's even a word. <laughs> And I feel totally like it, your cinematography really blended into the story and I wasn't distracted by it. And if that's, if that's at all a compliment, I, I think it is Huge. because, you know, you're not trying to show off the, uh, the flares or the characteristics of the lenses or doing a Michael Bay shot just for the sake of it. Like it all had a reason and I really enjoyed the cinematography because it really blended into the story. Well, it's funny because a few years before this, I'd done another film working with Levi that I was the DP on as well. And that was a very showy film. Uh, you know, it wasn't very grounded. It had kind of a dream reality, like a David Lynch kind of thing. And that was a big show off piece where, yeah, everything it's like that light's not motivated, but it's pretty. So let's throw <laughs> that light in the corner there anyways. So this was really a very different step. And anytime that our protagonist, yeah, Boban, uh, the actor who played him and did an amazing job, anytime he he's uncomfortable uh we made the choice that we were gonna go and you know it's harsh available light it was very underlit and we used uh a set of sony cine alta lenses that have they're beautiful lenses but they have very little character uh so we would use those where once we we're indoors it was much more lit uh we used some vintage lenses some nikon ai lenses to give it a very different feel uh when he was back in his element or at a certain point when he's on the phone to his family Wow, and I noticed too. I love the the kind of contrast between the oranges and the yellows of the hotel. And by the way, guys, if you are you know we're, as we're talking about this, um, part of the reason why we're bringing this up is because it will be going to the public soon. Is that right, Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. So we're trying something really different because uh, we were still scheduled to do a few more film festivals with the movie, but uh, you, we all know what's up with that right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so we're actually going to be doing a temporarily, it looks like it'll be a one week premiere on a website called Film Shortage. Uh, so you'll be able to check that out there. Um, 
and that's going to be going up on May 15th. And currently the plan is to have it up for one week. It'll be right on the main page when you go to it. Uh, but yeah, again, a walk down to water. And please, if you watch the film, I would love to hear your comments. Hit me up on you know Twitter, Instagram, anything like that. Uh, I'm, I can't wait for everyone to see it because, yeah, it's been nearly a year that it's been playing film yeah. fests. So uh, well, if you haven't been local... I it's been tricky to see. Yeah, I mean, just so you guys know, we are recording this on May 7th, but by the time you're listening to this, it will be available. Uh, so definitely go check that out, and we will make sure to link that in the description of this uh, podcast. Uh, go follow Jordan Drake on Twitter. I'm sure he'll be posting about it as well. Um, Incessantly. Yeah. <laughs> so, but back to what I was saying, and of course, you need to have seen the film to understand what I'm saying, but the contrast between the yellows and the golds and the blues and the greens of the water and the forest mixed with the hotel. I think the choice of the locations and um, the way that you propelled the story with the hotel and the kind of, it's not necessarily, I guess it is kind of a um, filmmaking thing with the forest and the water, but you know, the woman who's talking on the phone, she does mention the lake and all this and that, but it did seem to have a little bit of a kind of uh, filmy thing with it. Like it, it necessarily, it wasn't necessarily a practical like moment in the story it was kind of a figurative exactly thing, yeah we're, but... re we're really trying to give it a bit of dream logic yeah. and things like that and that um and you can see there's some really interesting things that the director and i talked about um there's a photographer I love, uh, Tom Hedo, who does a bunch of landscape pictures through car windows in the rain. Uh, and the director and I really loved that. So we actually had a little magic arm that we could swing up and down with a pane of glass in front of it. And we would spray glycerin on that or put a little water on it and shoot through it. Uh, that gives it, you know, kind of a, a slightly flawed, but again, kind of a, a dream logic, a little bit surreal feel to it so, to really let you know, like, okay, we are not actually cutting to what exactly happened in this woman's day it's his own mental picture of what happened yeah it's awesome that you mentioned that because i did notice there was some shots at the beach that were very handheld very beautiful and i noticed the water was like dripping on the lens and stuff and i was like man they must have shot this in the rain but um that's cool that you mentioned that i loved that touch it really added a lot to it having the water kind of dripping down the lens it looked like you know it's very cool yeah, it just kind of gives you that damp kind of feel, because uh, the water is not exactly supposed to be calming in that uh, in that sequence there. The other cool thing, you mentioned camera movement. Uh, we had uh, a couple Ronin 2 uh, gimbals on set, but uh, the director and I, we really love the look of old Steadicam. Uh, he... So we were watching a lot of movies from like the early 90s when that was really common. Um, a lot of European films as well. So what we did uh, when we're on the beach there, it's actually on a glide cam, like old timey, uh, just swinging around. Uh, so kind of a handheld movement, but with a little smoothness. And when we're dollying around the hotel, we actually have a big dolly cart. Uh, it's just wheels on the ground, but then we wrapped the camera and lenses in bungee cords and pushed it across. So again, it has kind of a little bit of bounce. It looked ridiculous, but yeah, it has an almost handheld but not quite kind of look. That's exactly the look we were going for. Is there a BTS uh, of any type, even just photos or anything that you could share about some of that? Or It's funny you mentioned that, Dave, because uh, DP Review TV will be posting a BTS video 
if this is going up that week, then that will also be live uh, on the 16th. So you can look forward to seeing our our hideous bungee contraption that <laughs> totally worked. I can't wait to see that. And what, um, you know, I'll just get this out of the way for all the tech heads. What camera did you did you shoot on for the film? I mean, this was two years ago, so you didn't have an S1H back then. Yeah, so the uh, main camera on this was uh, Red Dragon 6K. Uh, which is a huge pain to work with, uh, but the image is really <laughs> lovely. Once you get it into post, there's a lot of flexibility. And again, because we were shooting uh, with very little light modifiers when we're outside, uh, and this the film, because he finds the body after everyone's supposed to have checked out, has to take place in kind of high noon, midday. Uh, that contrast, it was really nice to be able to control that a little bit, shooting raw on that camera. But the B camera on it was actually the S1, um, or not S1, I'm sorry, GH5S, uh, which uh, shot uh, all the water footage, which I would say is the best looking footage in the film. Um, I agree. So, yeah, it's a really good example. If you've got beautiful light, um, then, you know, the camera that you pick doesn't make a huge difference. Uh, where you need the really great camera with the raw capability and everything like that, it's not when you're on a beautifully lit set. It's when you're out shooting in gross midday sun and can't control everything because you can't get a flop close enough to the actors. Well, really great job. A walk down to water. Everybody go check it out. Um, as this podcast goes live, um, the, the film is live. Um, so go follow Jordan and, uh, and you can see that and you can see the BTS on uh, DP Review TV. So very cool. Thanks again, Jordan, for sharing that with me uh, a little bit uh, early. And uh, it was a, a joy to check that out. Um, so again, everybody check that out. So let's talk about YouTube because uh, people listening to this are going to know you from that mostly. Um, how long have you been on? Yeah. How long have you been on? You... Kai, um, Caleb, we've interviewed both Kai and Caleb over the last couple of weeks. Both of them have been on for over 10 years now. I, I assume you've been in those same circles as those two guys. Is that exactly, you know, 10, 11 years? Pretty close to. Uh, we initially started making videos and because YouTube wasn't quite what it was, and also because I was pretty oblivious, I wasn't a big YouTube viewer at that point, we were actually posting and hosting them on the camera store's own website, which is a great way to make sure that six people watch those videos uh, when they go to a, a product page. Uh, so my friend... Uh, who I believe you've also interviewed, Tyler Stallman, uh, came in to the office and was like, why are these things not on YouTube? That's a way better platform for them. So my YouTube career is largely due to Stallman happening to walk into the office while I was uh, at the camera store there. I love that. He, I asked him uh, what his friendship was with you, and he said, mostly fist fighting. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's hilarious because he, he also kind of regrets the fact that 10 years ago he didn't dive into it uh he kind of dabbled with youtube and then stopped for a couple of years and then now the last three years he's been all in but he said one of the earliest videos that you guys did on your channel he's actually featured in the x100 review that was our first one that got what we thought at the time was huge traffic we got seven thousand views on one nice. day when that thing came out and we were this this is it from this point on everyone will recognize us on the street everything will change uh, but yeah, that was also our first time having a guest on the show. And, uh, and shortly thereafter is when, um, we made a short, uh, commercial, the battle at F-stop Ridge. And that's when the channel really blew up. Uh, that was our first and only viral hit. Uh, and then we could kind of really start building things off of that momentum. Yeah. And of course we're talking about the, uh, 
the channel that you started, which was Camera Store TV. Um, now you're at DP Review, and we can we can discuss that transition and and what's been happening over the last you know couple of years. But uh, Camera Store is is what started uh, the the companionship of you and Chris, and I think Jordan goes along with Chris Nichols, you know, when people are referring to the two of you, I would assume one goes with the other because it really is a Locke and Kai type of situation. Uh, you know, it's actually kind of cool that you and Chris and then Locke and Kai kind of had their own thing going. And I would assume, I mean, were you guys watching them also on DigiRev at the same time and exchanging comments with each other? Or did you ever have interactions with Kai and Locke? over in Hong Kong at all or well it it took a little while again cuz I wasn't watching much YouTube at the time um but uh, he did I believe it was like a D3 versus paintball gun video or something like that and I walked by and the staff were watching it uh and then yeah very quickly you could see cuz Chris and I had then by that point started interacting while we were shooting the videos you know I would do my little off camera comments or whatever so we'd started to build that dynamic of two hosts and those guys were doing it at the exact same time over uh in Hong Kong but once we saw that then definitely there did start to be more of a, you know, we'd try to inject a little more humor into it. There were more little skits in the videos. So they were absolutely a huge influence. I would say they were our first YouTube, um, YouTube camera review influences, even though we'd both been producing content separately for a while before we found them. 10 years ago, YouTube was not at all how it is now where, you know, kids are in high school and their number one career goal is to become a YouTuber. You know, I mean, it's, it's really amazing how things have changed and how normal it is now to say that you want to become a influencer. Um, back then, I don't think that term even existed really. What was it like? I mean, you were working at the camera store and what, what happened? Did your boss just say, Hey, we need to, you know, make some reviews or was that kind of your idea to, to start doing the videos in general? I mean, 10 years ago, Things the landscape was so different on the internet. Yeah, exactly. Um, what really happened? The store management said we want to do a little video tour of our store because online sales were starting to take off a little bit. So put a little personality on it. So uh, you can still see it. It's on the camera store page. There's me. My wife is in it. Chris is in it. Uh, just a little walkthrough. And what we realized very quickly uh, is that Chris was completely natural on camera. You know, I stumbled through probably 30 takes of holding a couple cameras up behind a counter where Chris just riffed right on top of it because he was already a teacher at that point. And I think that's where a lot of that natural ability to just get a point across very quickly and easy without a lot of rehearsal came from. Uh, so he was great at it, and we just kind of let it go for a little bit until the um, Panasonic GF1 came out, which we thought was a really exciting camera. I'd say that's the first good mirrorless camera. Uh, so we were like, you know what? The spec list doesn't really convey why we're so excited about this thing. So we did what's now, you know, terror. No one would ever want to go watch another store's review inside the store behind a counter talking about the exciting specs of it. Uh, but at the time, it was kind of novel. So we made a few of those and we were just posting them on the store's website itself. No one was watching them. Uh, once we started putting them on YouTube, the other thing we did that really started changing things, and Tyler's episode was a big part of this, is we started filming outside. Uh, we got out of the store, uh, started doing more tutorials, things like that out there. And again, that's when the camera started to 
grow a little bit because uh, it was really us and Digital Rev were the two retailers who were producing content outside of the four walls of the store. Yeah, and I mean, it was just an exciting time because of the mirrorless revolution, the Remember, it was called the HDSLR revolution when the 5D and the 7D started uh, changing, you know, cinema and filmmaking in general. And, um, you know, you you had companies like Red Rock, Micro, um, Lettuce, um, you know, and this was before even gimbals were a thing. And the Glidecam HD 4000 was was all the rage. You um, had to have one, yeah. <laughs> you had to have it. And then that monopod that Still Motion was using that everybody uh, used as well. Um, Still using it. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> MVM 500, that's where it's yeah, at. Yeah, it's the best. I, uh, I, I actually still never upgraded from the original one. Mine's like completely put together with gaff tape. I know now they've kind of done iterations of it. But um, yeah, the monopod is still an amazing tool. Um but yeah, I mean, the format of your videos have really grown, but also the kind of core foundation of the way that you guys produce them, it seems to be very similar. And obviously the quality has, has gotten better and better as you've become a better cinematographer, as the tools have gotten better. But overall, the the format has remained pretty tried and true. Tell me about that process of kind of finding you know, what worked with you, with Chris, um, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but, um, once you figured out, okay, we, we should go out, we should do this and that, like, what was that process like kind of figuring out this format that now has kind of become the go-to format for you guys? Well, one of the first things is when we started, initially we were just giving spec rundowns and product analysis. Once we started reviewing cameras, uh, that was a really big thing. Uh, you know, And we really did try to maintain our independence for that. One of the great things, people are like, how can you be objective? You work for a camera store. But also we worked for a camera store that sold everything. So you know, we weren't going to say, nobody needs a camera. Cameras are stupid. But we would certainly say, I don't think you should get this camera. You should get this camera instead is going to be a better option. Uh, so once we started doing that, and then, yeah, we really did commit to always trying to be out in the field. Uh, and we live in Canada, so that's quite often a horrible, horrible experience <laughs> is getting outside, you know, doing an eight hours in the field. Uh, but that was kind of what we built things on. And I still think that's something that we don't see a ton of. There's a lot of people who are, you know, primarily in their studios, they'll go out and shoot some test shots or something in the real world. But we do have the advantage that there's two of us. And I love that format where I can go out, shoot him, we can have some back and forth. Uh, That really helps out quite a bit. Uh, So once we started doing that, the episodes just started getting more detailed, longer. Uh, the suppliers started to really look at us as a review outlet, uh, which was another big thing. Once we started getting cameras before embargo, things like that, uh, there was a bit of a period of growing pains where they were like, well, we gave it to a store and then they said our autofocus sucked. What's going on here? That's not how things are supposed to work. Uh, but over time, they all realized, yeah, just treat us like any other uh, reviewers, members of the press, things like that. Uh, And then the channel just kept on growing at a very, we never had that same big spike of Battle at F-Stop where you're getting, you know, two, I think it's almost three million views now, but uh, just a gradual, steady growth as people got more and more familiar with it. Yeah, I remember that video, by the way, if you haven't seen it, go go search for it because it is hysterical. I remember seeing it years ago and um, yeah, it's it's classic. I remember actually talking with my my fellow photographer friends about 
um, like that idea before you guys ever did it. It's like, wouldn't it be funny if, uh, you know, cameras were weapons, you know, it was just a brilliant idea and I'm so glad somebody made it cause, um, you know, it just makes sense. <laughs> so, well, it's so many people I think had that concept in the back of their minds. Uh, you know, it's that, like that idea that once an idea is out there, everybody gets it at the same time. Cause immediately after we also had like Devin Supertramp put out one. I know there were also like four more camera battle videos, uh, with way higher production values. Some of them were really funny, brilliant pieces. Uh, we were just lucky that we got ours out first. So, I mean, one of the things too, that was funny during that time was as soon as basically the, the way the format works, if you have haven't seen any of uh, the camera store videos is, you know, you're behind the camera filming Chris, who is the, you know, talking about the photography related um, and kind of the overall specs. And then halfway through or midway through or a little bit after uh, midway, you'll, you'll come in and talk video specs. And some of the early um, videos, you can tell that Chris is shooting because the composition is way off. Like it's super shaky out of focus you know it's like okay it looks like a photographer is filming this <laughs> i uh i if i ever interview chris i won't mention that but uh he's gotten a lot better as a shooter uh for video at least <laughs> yeah well and he's he's doing a little bit of video work as well uh for other outlets and he has a real passion for it. the reason chris and i hit it off in the first place is we were both huge movie buffs so he had that interest he just hadn't shot a lot of video so yeah i think over time things have gotten you know, he's much more comfortable with it's it. It's seamless now. Yeah, and I'm also, yeah, it's pretty you seamless. know, maybe a quarter or a fifth of the episodes I'm hosting now. And he actually really enjoys the opportunity to get behind the camera and film those. I'm still cutting it, though. He gets off easy that way. <laughs> That's true. I mean, what were you editing on in the early days? Are you a Final Cut guy or Premiere? I was I was uh, Final Cut 7 when we first got started. Um, and then after the uh, big Final Cut switch, along with everyone else, it was like, I'm not learning a new type of timeline. So I went over to Premiere. Uh, we were on that for, I believe, about two years. Um, and then I once some of the kinks got worked out on Final Cut, I went back to Final Cut 10 because it was so fast. It seems like it's built for YouTubers. And still to this day, you know, just looking at render times and especially if I need to make quick adjustments, you know, not to have to worry about sliding around, you know, audio getting out of sync or anything like that. It is it cuts the way I think. It just took a long way for me to wrap my brain around it. But I do love it. Um, you know, there's a lot that really I would love to see it having better color grading and better audio tools and things like that, uh, which is why, you know, I'd probably look at other. Uh, the film that uh, Walk Down to Water was uh, cut on Premiere and graded in Resolve because uh, they have some of those tools for it. But for YouTube, I still think when you need quick turnaround, Final Cut just rocks. And I can still do commercial projects when they come up with it, and I don't feel too limited with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Final Cut user myself, and um, I love it. And I think, just like you said, it does feel like it's made for YouTubers. Just editing the A-roll and being able to... Uh, cut and then delete and then everything behind it just slides right down instantly people hate that magnetic timeline but when you're trying to just cut through some a-roll for a youtube video having the magnetic timeline is so quick and um, once you learn to harness it it's actually pretty amazing and once you learn how to keep it at bay when you really don't want it as well like cutting yeah you know music montages and stuff sometimes it can kind of bite you but uh once you understand it it is very very powerful yeah using the range tool and the place tool instead of the standard tools um and learning how to kind of switch between 
both features uh you know but that just comes from a lot of experience and practice and for people starting out fresh just go straight into final cut don't even learn the old way of nles because the people that are stuck on premiere or um god forbid avid um <laughs> like it's it is hard for your brain to relearn something so you know that's why premiere kind of stuck with the old school way of doing it and they've slowly implemented things and resolve is kind of a nice blend of what final cut has done and the yeah. old school so i think um resolve is a good happy medium uh resolve is also their performance has gotten a lot better too i've actually been really surprised in some cases i've seen that their export times have been faster than final cut which is actually really impressive uh depending on your machines uh, yeah it seems like it's becoming a very capable nle and i was like man if only i had some opportunity where things could slow down for a little while and i could learn that program inside out but uh i, I mean we're still pumping out two episodes a week so the rest of the world might have shut down but i'm like man i would love just a week to be able to really lock down with resolve and learn it inside out well i mean let's talk about that from camera store to even now new cameras are always coming out and especially the last five years um things have just been insane and that's yeah how have you been able to stay sane and not have the typical like youtuber burnout when you're literally cranking out two videos a week and you're i mean sometimes you get invited to events where you know, you along with a handful of others are the first people ever to put out a video and you really only have a couple hours to even get the thing edited. Oh, yeah. How have you stayed yeah, sane? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that kind of ties into why we're with DP Review right now. Uh, because while I was with the camera store, I was still a salesperson at the shop. So, uh, you know, sometimes it would be quiet in the store and I'd get a little bit of editing done, but mostly the shooting, the editing was done on our free time, uh, which is, you know, somewhat sustainable before you have a family. But uh, yeah, it got to be a little too much to, you know, put the kid to bed at eight o'clock and then eight o'clock till midnight or one o'clock plowing away cutting and then back to work the next day. Uh, and it just looked like that wasn't really going to change. Um, I know Chris was the number one salesperson at the camera store. I ran the video department. It's not like we were just easily replaceable with other bodies. So uh, it got to a point where it was like, you know what? I want to be making videos full time and I want to have some extra time to really test the cameras as well. Uh, we were doing so much of our testing, like grab something behind the counter and focus on the bookshelf. You'll see that bookshelf a lot in those early camera store TV episodes. Because uh, that was how we we had to test stuff, uh, and we built, had a big enough following. We had to be right, you know, at that point um, as well. So it it became very very difficult. Um, so uh, when the opportunity to work with DP Review came up, that was where we could just shoot full time, spend more time with the equipment, and be able to draw on. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet any of those guys, but they're brilliant at what they do i mean there's a reason that site has been the biggest photo review site for however many years now uh so to be able to tap into that well of knowledge while we're working on videos as well was 
really great for me to make sure everything was on point and we could look at things from a few different angles as well. Uh, I still do miss the store experience. I think it's really great to talk to hundreds of people every week and try and find out what will work best for their needs. That is a really great opportunity. And there was a little period before I got uh, snowed under again and before this whole COVID thing came up where I would actually go into the camera store and work a Saturday once a month or something like that just to keep in touch with what everybody was actually interested in in the real world instead of just YouTube commentators and DP review forum folks, which is not indicative of the real world yeah. in any way. <laughs> Your wife works there though, right? So I'm sure you're you're able to talk to her and get a vibe off of her from some of that, right? A little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we know what's going on. Uh, what's what people are excited about from that because she's run basically every role in that store. She's done sales, marketing. Uh, now she's hosting their DP review or TCS TV. T- t- I can't get these right. TCS TV show. Uh, so she's. Uh, there's been a few times we've been on the same press trip, which is great, um, but not terribly common. Uh, but then, yeah, it is really nice that we can, you know, when something comes in, it's like, what do you think of this? I don't know. What's your take on it? Um, it can be a little tricky when we're under NDAs that are different days apart or whatever. It's just like, I know something you don't know. <laughs> but, and vice versa. There's been times, too, because she's also seeing it from the dealer side where they'll hear about stuff way before we do. So, uh, so yeah, there is always a little bit of that. But um but it's it's so great, you know, when we've got a camera at home, I can also, hey, what what do you think of this? Uh, and get kind of a different take on it. Uh, she's been really great that way. That's amazing. I, I think there's a lot of uh, creators who cannot relate to that at all. I'm one of them. My wife nope. could not even... <laughs> she would not know what... As she loves what I do. She's very supportive. But um, <laughs> she would call my... I had a Tokina 11 to 16... And she would call it Mrs. Tokina. And she'd say, are you using Mrs. Tokina today? <laughs> She's like, I love that lens. I was like, why do you like it? She's like, I like the name. <laughs> Such a great name. <laughs> it's, a great uh, name. it's funny because I think, you know, there's a, lo- a few other channels where it's a uh, husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend team that are out working together, uh, like the Watsons and the Northrups and things like that. But yeah, I can't think of any other photo or video channels that are you know, doing the same thing for separate outlets. I think we're in a pretty unique position there. <laughs> yeah. Some would say a conflict of interest, but it seems you've got, you guys have been able to keep it uh, controlled. <laughs> we're very responsible. <laughs> Tell that to the, to the drunk camera review uh, <laughs> people, but uh, that's a really funny segment that you guys do every uh, holiday um it's a you guys just have a couple drinks and talk about the best and the worst cameras it's it is a responsible drinking adult situation but one of my favorite um videos you do every year it seems um how did that come about how did you guys come up with that one we were doing one of our first end of year videos and it was just taking forever. I think we were, you know, like, I will just quickly, you know, run through these nice and fast. But then, um, this is uh, the Sony F five had just come out. Uh, so we had a giant cinema camera with PL lenses and every take, I wanted to reframe the shot a little bit. So we're doing PL lens swaps and it was just a very, it's all on sticks with a rig. So it was a very slow process. So Chris came over and he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to have a beer between takes. And then, you know, an hour and a half into it, he's like, I'm going to go make myself a gin and tonic. And then it just 
started turning into the joke of the episode, even though we hadn't come up with that initially. And then the following year, we had so many comments like, are you guys going to be drinking for the best and worst again? And... And that was the number one question when we announced we were going over to DP Review as well. It's like, are they still going to, are they going to let you drink? They're such a responsible outlet. And uh, and that was one that was right from the get-go. They're like, yeah, you can come over. You can do the annual drinking thing. That was like the first. That was one of the first. So, it was in the writer. <laughs> exactly. You must drink if you're yeah, going to come work for us. Yeah. Very responsible drinking, by the way. Must put that out there. Uh, very adult yes, the, drinking. <laughs> always a controlled environment. Yeah. Um, but uh, we did it. Changed up a couple times. One year we had other people, other uh, YouTubers, friends of ours, record bits to camera. Uh, we did one where we went to Seattle to record it. And the feedback has always been like, no, we want you guys in your living rooms. That seems to be what <laughs> yeah, everybody likes. True. So yeah, that's that. going to be the format going yeah. forward. Yeah, there was a... a big blowback on that when we went to Seattle for the first time. So uh, you can just count on Chris and I in our living rooms with some hard liquor every year from now on. <laughs> I'm interrupting this podcast briefly to tell you guys about the brand new DJI Mavic Air 2 cinema series filters from Polar Pro. If you aren't aware, the newest drone from DJI just came out. It's called the Mavic Air 2. It's the second generation of the more affordable, smaller, lightweight drone from DJI. The thing that makes the Mavic Air 2 to stand out against the lineup of other drones from DJI is the fact that the size of the drone itself is so compact and easy to travel with, but the quality and performance of the camera built into it is still high enough to be considered a professional camera. But like all drones with built-in cameras, there's one thing that you really need to get the most cinematic shots possible, and that is a neutral density filter. Well, you're in luck because Polar Pro has just announced the brand new Cinema Series filters for the Mavic Air 2. There's two packages that you can choose from, the Vivid Collection and the V&D Filter. First, let me tell you about the Vivid Collection for the Mavic Air 2. The kit includes ND8, ND16, and ND32, all with polarization filters built into them. Those three filters strengths are really going to handle most situations that you're going to face with your drone. You want to make sure that your shutter speed is set double to what your frame rate is. So for example, if you're shooting at 24 frames per second, you want your shutter speed to be around 1 48th of a second. And because the drone doesn't have the ability to adjust your aperture, once you set your shutters down to 1 50th of a second, even at the lowest ISO settings, the image is going to be completely blown out and overexposed. That's why when you're using a drone, you have to have an ND filter to keep your shutter speed at the right setting when you're shooting outdoors. Now the thing that makes the Vivid Collection from Polar Pro so great is the addition of the polarization filter attached to the ND itself. Adding a polarizer to your camera can completely change its capabilities by removing reflections, cutting glare, and increasing color saturation. Now the other filter that we're selling is the VND filter, which is very similar to the very popular Peter McKinnon VND that we sell as well. You can buy the VND in either a two to five stop VND or a combo set that comes with a two to five and a six to nine stop VND system. This is going to be the most versatile setup that you can get. Basically, with only two filters, you're able to cover between two to nine stops of ND filtering with everything in between. It's really amazing what you can do with these filters. All of these filter sets are on our website, and for a limited time during this special launch, you can save $10 off all Mavic Air 2 filter sets. So if you just put a pre-order down for the Mavic Air 2 
or you're considering getting the Mavic Air 2, now's the time to jump on getting your full cinema setup by buying the Mavic Air 2 filters from Polar Pro. So again, go to polarpro.com and check this out. The new filter setup for the Mavic Air 2, $10 off only now, go check it out. Now, let's go back to my conversation. Speaking of blowback, um, <laughs> there was a lot of it uh, when the transition happened, both from the camera store audience to probably you guys moving over. You've mentioned why you made the move, and that seemed like the right decision for you creatively, professionally, and um, I'm, of course, very supportive of that, and things have, it seems like everything has, has uh, blown over now, and things are, are moving along, moving forward. But tell me about that initial, you know, couple, those six months of like that transition from what I saw in the comments and, and stuff, it didn't seem to be a peaceful transition. Well, th there were a few things that we kind of, I guess I didn't take into account when we made the switch. I think a huge part of the appeal of the camera store TV was that this was, I mean, it's a big store. It's the biggest camera store in Western Canada, but it was an independent retailer that somehow had this, you know, for a while there, we were one of the big four photo YouTube channels. Um, and I think people really loved that. It was the scrappy underdog kind of thing. So uh, when we went to go join the biggest, review site on the internet i do think it was that uh you know 90s punk rock like oh man those guys are totally selling out to the man right now there was a fair amount of that uh and and i do think yeah we always have to kind of win people back we see on the comments all the time like yeah i kind of checked out after you guys switched channels but then i'm watching it and it feels just like the old show and that was something that we really tried to maintain but it has like admittedly it's been a slog i figured our subscribers would follow us all over but uh, we're at 240,000 right now we were at 320,000 when we left the camera store and that's two years in i thought you know a year in we'd be picked up right where we were and uh, rocking on. So our views are very similar to what they were when we left the camera store a little better. But uh, yeah, the subscribers has been uh, kind of interesting. And it's funny because if you're looking for gear or you're looking for access to a location, no one says like, hey, uh, how are your views or what's your watch time for this month? It's always, oh yeah, you want access to shoot here? How many subscribers do you have? So, uh, so that's been a little bit tricky. Ev actually... We found that um, the camera store audience, we always said, are some of the best commentators on YouTube. We'd actually hear on press trips from other YouTubers, like, your comments generally aren't that mean. And I don't know if it's the Canadian thing or what it is. But uh, that did really carry over forward when uh, Ev and Dave took over the YouTube channel. For the most part, the comments were very supportive. There were, of course, some because it's it's YouTube uh, and you can't get away from that. But, I mean, they we knew that that was going to be the case going into it. The first thing we did with them when we did the transition is shot that short film where we'd just hurl insults at them while they ran an obstacle course because that's basically what YouTube is. Uh, it's just a bunch of people trying to break your brain. Uh, so yeah i mean there's been some but that's the nature of youtube and it's not like they were shocked with that but in general i would say the feedback has been generally pretty positive um the dp review thing has been more again us just kind of winning that audience over it is kind of funny because chris would always be like oh those youtube comments i can't handle it until we switched over to dp review and now he's just like i just read the youtube comments i can't go into some of the dp review forums and see what they say about us <laughs> 
that's even a little oh, bit yeah, more rough. Oh, even deeper. It's rough sometimes, but <laughs> but it is cool well, the, to get yeah. that feedback bubble from two areas as well, right? It's like I think people who watch a lot of YouTube have a different perspective than people who are serious, serious photo enthusiasts on those DP review forums. And I I do think that uh, to compare DP review with uh, and camera store transition to Kai with DigiRev isn't a fair comparison because Kai was really the host of DigiRev. Locke was, was definitely a, a huge part, but it, it was already Kai. And I think he he just kind of moved on and just did his own thing. And I feel like people who liked Kai just followed him and it wasn't there wasn't a lot of drama behind that because it was like, oh, okay, Kai left and he's doing his own thing. That's good for him. Um, because it was one company to another company and because it doesn't Amazon own DP review. They or, do. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, it's the punk rock attitude of like, you know, Amazon, own, this multi-billion dollar entity owns this company. Like you're selling out to the man or whatever. But like you said, over, over the last two years now, you've been able to win people back and the YouTube algorithm especially has um, continued to pump your stuff out to people interested and, you may not have hit that subscriber mark that you wanted, but I mean, still, you know, two fifty, two fifty in two years versus three twenty or whatever in ten years. I mean, yeah. you got to think about it that way, right? <laughs> so, um, and who knows how many of those three twenty were not active subscribers, anyways, that subscribed ten years ago that their accounts are idle now. You know, <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. How how have you changed as a? First off, would you even call yourself a a YouTuber? I mean, you. you I would assume you do, but what do you say when people ask, I work for DP review, or do you say I'm a YouTuber? <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of depends on the situation. I'm still, I, I, I understand it is my profession at this point, but I always do kind of chew on my tongue a little bit whenever I say I'm a YouTuber. Uh, and, <laughs> and I don't know, like... It's a totally valid profession, and I'm happy I'm doing it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always generally say, like, I'm a, you know, video – I vi make videos has been my main <laughs> thing because I'm, I'm not on camera quite as frequently uh, as Chris is and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, if it came down to it, I guess I would have to write YouTuber on – you know, like a, if I, a T4 slip or something, if I were in that situation. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fair. You know, first off, 10, 10, eight years ago, the term YouTuber came up and it was super cringy. Um, just like the word selfie, even the word drone. I had to correct people when I was shooting on my Phantom. People like, oh, is that a drone? I was like, no, it's a multi-rotor. Um, but then drone just became a thing. I've always joked, by the way, this is off topic, but I've always joked about making a t-shirt that says... It goes this high. It goes this fast. I bought it on this website. It costs this much. <laughs> because every time you're flying a drone, yeah. normal people come up to you, oh, how, how far does it go? How fast can you take it? Is there a camera on there? Where did you get it? <laughs> it's like the same questions every time. My friends would joke, we need to just have a t-shirt that has all the answers to every question they ask. Yeah. I, I mean, we should have one of those as well. Um because we have really changed the way we shoot the show because people are always, you know, we used to shoot it on cinema cameras and every <laughs> 10 seconds, someone's coming over like, what are you doing? Is this the worst is like, are you guys with the news? And then they'll come over and express a opinion, even after you tell them like, no, we're not with the news. And they'll be like, let me tell you what I think <laughs> about this zoning restriction. Um, so we've, 
we've really kind of reined in that like less gimbals uh you know we haven't been using drones also because canada is extremely restrictive with uh drone regulation uh, but anything that'll draw attention to us we've really scaled back like uh we were running around with ghs for a very long time and even moving up to an s1h which i love using right now it's a little bit bigger and we're seeing a little bit more of that like hey what do you what are you all doing out here <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's hilarious yeah i um I mean, obviously, yeah, let's talk gear. Why not? We're already there. Um, I know you were a big fan of the FS700. I remember when you were using that. Um, I think even the FS100, correct? I, th- I think you were on that? I don't uh, remember. Never did the 100. So we went. Okay. Uh, we were on the Panasonic AF100 was our first Cinecam. Uh, okay. Their Micro Four Did you start one. on the uh, 5D, though? Is uh, that where you started? We shot on the JVC HM100, uh, which was nice. the first like shot uh quick time files to sd cards and it was Heck just yeah. like i don't have to dub tape this is incredible uh, and <laughs> did then, it do 25p uh that did 30 we were a 30p show for quite a while uh when the 5d2 came out i actually as soon as it hit uh made short films with it i went and made uh my, the video that played at my wedding i made a silent film that was shot on the 5d mark ii before you even had exposure control so you know i run oh, past wow. the camera and the exposure is jerking all over the place and it was locked at 30p not 29.97 so that really helped that it was a silent film uh with a live piano <laughs> playing because otherwise it'd be falling all out uh, yeah so i was very interested in that i just didn't see it as practical for shooting until they brought out the 2997 the 24p and i think the first episode that we did that way was the one right before battle at f-stop uh we did a shootout of an hs20 with a d700 with a 3 to 800 millimeter sigma boat anchor lens uh and we had a ton of fun shooting that and yeah that was the first one with the 5d mark ii the second time i took the 5d2 out was to shoot most of battle at f-stop too um but the problem is we had flashes firing as our artillery and you can recall yeah. the rolling shutter on that was of course. Uh, yeah. Almost as bad as an A6000 series camera nowadays. Yeah, a modern uh, Sony camera. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so we actually used an HM700 broadcast camera shot because okay. it had an old CCD chip in it. So anytime you wow. see flashes going off in that, uh, that was that. And then shortly thereafter, the AF100 came out. Um, that was announced at the NAB where Tyler Stallman was in my hotel room. Again, we want to keep yeah. the Stallman circle going here. And uh, the AF100, it was a like a Micro Four Thirds cinema camera, right? Yeah, it was a GH1 guts, but with an ND filter, XLRs, uh, that kind of stuff. And that was the first time I felt comfortable using it for A-roll. Uh, and then following that, we went to the FS700, to the um, FS7, FS5, um, F5. So we did Sony cinema cameras for a long time until the GH5 came out. Uh, and that was when we... Uh, compared the FS7 image quality to the GH5. GH5 actually came out ahead in low light performance, dynamic range, all that kind of stuff. So it was just like, okay, well, this is what we're going to shoot on now. It's small and discreet. And I would say the show got immediately better once we made that decision. Um, Yeah, I would agree. At the beginning of every episode, and I would assume this came from the comments of like, what camera is this that you shot on? Because every video, this video was shot on blank. And, uh, 
as a video nerd myself, like I would literally just sit there and wait and see, okay, what did he shoot it on this time? And uh, obviously sometimes, at least at least the last five years or so, if the camera you're reviewing has a decent video function, you do choose to actually shoot on that camera that you are reviewing, which is pretty cool that those companies will, I guess you ask, hey, we need two of them um, yeah. <laughs> when you're doing a review. Um, so that's cool because often these hybrid cameras do both video and photo and um, you don't even have to make a separate video only f- video necessarily because the video itself is shot on that camera, which is really smart. But yeah, the GH5, how did that change your workflow when you switch? Well, the big one, that was our first body that had IBIS in it. Uh, of course, again, we'd been shooting with other cameras throughout the years, but as a primary camera, suddenly having that, uh, you know, I lived on a tripod and that MV500 monopod just still my yes. best friend. Um, but it was becoming really practical because impractical because we were traveling so often. So an FS5, a video monopod, you're checking luggage at that point. Uh, so suddenly our ACAM that I was very comfortable with and could work fast was also you know, something very small. I didn't have to have a monopod. You'll see a lot of handheld work in um, that when the GH5 first came out. Uh, that changed things enormously. Um, and then having dual XLR audio on such a small body as well. Uh, it was great to just be able to quickly grab a second recording, or a lot of the time I'm laved up while I'm operating the camera. So if Chris says something, I can just throw in a little aside. And most of the time we throw those away because uh, they can be distracting. But every once in a while, you'll get a little bit of that sassiness that we like to throw in the openings of the episode <laughs> is usually a yeah. back and forth with Chris and I. Uh, so we really appreciated that as well. But the big one was just size, weight, and the IBIS uh, suddenly really changed the way that we worked. Um, And yeah, I mean, we used that GH5, I think that came out four years ago, and I still use that for projects once in a while. Uh, We've been using a lot more telephotos due to recent situations, so I don't have any long glass for the S1H, 2470s as long as I go. So we're still finding the GH5 and the GH5S coming out pretty regularly, and I still love the image yeah, on them. and the S was uh, another great iteration of that um, body and sensor, and it's a shame that they didn't do a uh, IBIS version of it, because I think people like us would really enjoy a GH5, GH5S sensor with IBIS on it. That'd be really great. Um, but I understand the reasoning behind it. They had a legitimate reason for cinematographers and filmmakers, it seems. Um, also, the size of the sensor is slightly bigger, so they'd have to re-engineer some of that stuff. Um, apparently. Yeah, none of your lenses would cover it if it was floating around. And you can see, sometimes on the GH5, you're getting pretty close to the edge of a lens's coverage anyways. Like, yeah, I don't remember that lens vignetting. It's like, no, I was just walking badly when I filmed that shot. Yeah. And you you and I have talked a little bit about the Olympus bodies, and uh, I've been extremely frustrated with that company because... I feel like there's a lot of potential there with what they have. They they have this great, you know, GH5 sensor that has uh, actually good autofocus. And I do think mm-hmm. their IBIS with the electronic mode, the mode one, is some it's of the amazing. best I've ever seen. It's incredible. I love it so much. It is the best. Yeah, straight up. A lot of people have actually said that uh, you can't have IBIS without having that w- wobble effect on wide angle lenses i'm like i don't see it on my olympus it's they correct the the wobble effect on the wide angle with that mode one feature it's amazing uh, i also love the colors i think they have great color science um but they just won't <laughs> they won't do any of the pro video stuff no 4k 60 no continuous recording no 10 bit 
the EM1 Mark III just came out, and I was messaging you as like, did they fix this? You're like, nope. Did they do this? Nope. <laughs> well, thankfully, you got it. You got it right there. Yeah, I, it, was, it was right beside me there. Locked out. I have one. Um, <laughs> they sent me one to do a review on with those great pro lenses. I love the F12 uh, Olympus lenses. Oh, so They're great. Yep. I love that manual focus clutch. I just think, I think overall, they, they're a great company. They do have some great tools. They just won't do it for the video guys for some reason. Yeah, I still use Olympus cameras fairly regularly for walk and talks and things like that. I think they're amazing for it. And I would love to use one full time. We shot a lot of episodes on the EM1 too um, when I wanted to travel light and I knew that IBIS was going to come in handy. But uh, yeah, it is kind of frustrating for me as well because that feature is great. Their phase detect, I would say, is in the top three. I think it's a little better than Fuji's implementation right now. Uh, they could I agree. really be killing it. I just think they're a little hard up for R&D, to be honest. You know, it's a small company. Yeah. They can't just throw endless resources at video specs in the same way, you know, Panasonic and Sony can. Yeah. And what happened when you did make that transition to the full frame? Um, was the S1H kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for you? Because obviously there's been plenty of full frame bodies out there, like the A7 line, the uh, even the S1 itself. Um, are you shooting primarily on the S1H with the exception of now you're needing telephoto stuff, but... Uh, overall, would you say that's kind of your, your go-to right now? Yeah, that's my favorite image right now. Um, so that's where the full-frame advantage really came to me. I'm uh, The primary reasons to grab a full-frame have kind of always been low-light performance and super shallow depth of field. And I'm if you've watched our show, I'm not a huge fan of super shallow depth of field. When I was teaching video classes, day one was stop-down and that was it. Just please stop shooting at the maximum aperture every single shot. Uh, you know, think yeah. of how much is going to be in it. Think about the fact that faces are a little bit deep. So you don't want that face drifting. You know, Chris is a head bobber. You don't want that face drifting in and out while Chris is head bobbing. Uh, so yeah. that shallow depth of field wasn't a huge thing. Low light was less of a concern as well because on the micro four thirds now, you know, the... Uh, 10 to 25 millimeter 1.7 is filming me now, you know, the Sigma 1835 with the speed booster, tons of light. It's very rare that I'm shooting somewhere so dark that's not sufficient. But the S1H has the best, uh, it's full V-log profile on it. If I'm shooting high contrast, that's my favorite image, short of a raw picture right now. I love it. Uh, and also, if you uh, shoot it in its uh, 709 like the tonality of the image, you don't have a ton of dynamic range, but the best skin tones, and I would put it up against, you know, some of the higher-end cinema cameras and things like that. It is wow. a gorgeous image. Uh, Richard from DP Review did a great article really analyzing that from a technical level, but... Uh, I think it's beautiful, but it's also big. Uh, the stabilizer isn't as effective as the Micro Four Thirds stuff, although it's very good. So it is still a matter yeah. of compromises. Um, and yeah, I'm not completely sold on full frame. You know, for that shallow depth of field, uh, I find again I can usually get the look that I'm going for with Super Thirty Five or Micro Four Thirds. There's glass that's going to support you, um, depending on whatever kind of look you want. What happened when? Uh youtube started kind of changing did you have to change your workflow in terms of thumbnails titles algorithm are you in charge of that or has there been somebody at camera store or at dp review that handles kind of the back end of youtube you guys just producing do you do you think through your thumbnails and stuff nowadays um how have you handled just the la the changing of youtube over the last decade 
Yeah, it's it's so dramatic. Um, you know, it used to be very much, I think, just watch time based and, you know, likes and dislikes. But uh, yeah, if we don't have a thumbnail with some uh, red or yellow text on it now, it seems to just fall off a cliff. So I still pick the thumbnail. Um, the guy at TP Review, Dale Baskin, who handles all the video content, he does the titling um, for YouTube, um, all the tags, nice. things like that, that are really important. Uh, once he started, we were kind of hovering around gaining like, you know, four to 5,000 subscribers a month. Uh, once he started changing up the way we were doing tags, we went from that to seven and a half to eight. Uh, so it was an Amazing. enormous difference, you know, uh, at least a 50% bump just with the name we're we were tagging it. And that has become more and more important you know, important. And it is frustrating. You know, I feel like there's some stuff that has great watch time, you know, starts very strong, and then it, you just see it slowly fade away yeah. very quickly. Uh, and it's always tough to know what's gauging that. But I mean, the nice thing is we're making two a week. So you just keep chucking stuff at the wall to see what sticks and you get a better, <laughs> better and better idea. The last month has been really kind of scary to see i mean we're hearing it from all the photo guys uh, who aren't doing tech and stuff as well is yeah. you know we were seeing like 30 percent of our normal views going on subscriber counts mm -hmm. plummeted uh for that first month there which was pretty scary and now things are just coming right back up and chugging along as normal i think there was a period yeah. where no one wanted to think about going outside and shooting beautiful stills and video they just wanted to refresh the news <laughs> yeah so we're coming yeah. on the other side of it now I'm, I'm seeing that as well i think um honestly as sad as it is like this is our new normal and it's been well over a month now for most of us and uh i mean people are human beings are amazing creatures we are really starting to you know get used to this a little bit and um at least here in california the the quarantine is still happening you got to wear masks when you go out um you know it's not advised to go out too much uh restaurants still aren't aren't open in terms of sitting down and eating at a restaurant uh, like some states here, but um, overall, I I have been seeing you know things kind of go back to normal. The Mavic for me uh, seemed to perform well. People seem to be interested. They are getting some checks from the government, uh, so they they may have a thousand dollars to spend that that they didn't have. <laughs> Don't just immediately blow it on the lens that you want, people. Come on, this could go on for a while. I know it, that's exactly. It's not. It's ill advised to do so, but. You know, people needed some time to kind of grieve the loss of maybe their job or just the overall loss of freedom. <laughs> and uh, I think some of that grieving has, has started to go down. I mean, it's still a very weird time that we're in and hopefully things will, will change. But uh, yeah, I, I've been seeing a little bit more uh, viewership and kind of normalcy again on YouTube, but there definitely was a dip there. I noticed some of my, like, you know, I filmed a video about getting robbed and that video performed extremely well, and it was very negative. And I was like, "Huh, maybe negative content performs well because everybody's like real depressed right now." <laughs> so, um, I, I'm not sure who did it. I think it was Jonathan Morrison just published the same video with two different one like why I won't be buying this and why I love this, and the why I won't be buying it did like seventy percent better. So I guess it's time to go negative. You know, <laughs> dig deep in the negative. <laughs> yeah. The two things I hate about the S1H, except, you know, <laughs> exactly. there's like 97 things I love about yeah. it. Yeah. 
by the way, I uh, I didn't realize it because I just watch your videos when they're suggested, but your banner on DP Review is hysterical. <laughs> it's a picture of you in the fetal position laying on the ground. <laughs> Very professional. That has been a running joke now for a year. Uh, it's probably time to swap that one out. Uh, but someone just came to us like, every video, Jordan's in the fetal position crying. I think that should really be the banner as opposed to a DP review logo. And we agreed. And then I forgot about it until you mentioned it right now. <laughs> so I should probably swap that out. That's so great. Um, so we have uh, a question on Twitter. Um, how does Jordan handle working with somebody as handsome as Chris Nichols? <laughs> Timmy Tech TV asks. <laughs> I, I am incredibly privileged, Timmy Tech TV, because... I mean, it's it's pretty easy to frame Chris up, but also, you know, I don't have to compete. If there were two average-looking guys, I might be like, I don't know, I'm going to wear a nice shirt or something if I'm going to be on camera with him as well, where yeah, I don't have to compete right now. It's like, no, I'll just wear another one of my black industry t-shirts, and I'm good to go. Should I do my hair? No, I'll have headphone hair anyways. I'm wearing Sennheisers over it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it's great. I, I recommend, if you're trying to start a channel, find an attractive host. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, while we're on the topic of your attractive host, uh, host Chris, what is, what is he like when, when it comes to doing the reviews? I mean, you mentioned how naturally he's on camera. How does that work? Does he kind of just improvise all, all of his content? Well, we always go out, so we have an outline, um, of course, to make sure we don't hit any, miss anything. So, you know, spec list, and then we'll go out with, generally, it's like a point form thing of, you know, one or two bullet points we want to hit and everything. And then, yeah, you just, I always joke, I just wind him up and let him go. And then uh, we you get like a very, you know, well put together sentence. And it does make my job quite a bit easier. And we've talked about this a lot. I try to avoid doing things like jump cuts. I have a lot of coverage in the show. And it's because generally he gives me the option to only cut stuff in when I need it. Where you might be watching me talk about video specs on a camera and you'll be like, I don't know if they really needed to show that Nikon badge a second time while he was talking there. And it's just covering up me <laughs> flubbing, you know, on take number seven yeah. or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it is great when you can just go out with a pretty straightforward outline like that. Um, you know, it feels a lot less rehearsed. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. Like, I'm a horrible prompter reader. I know there's some people who are great at it out there, and we don't have to with Chris. And I think that's another big part of why we're able to just go out on the field or on press trips. We always try to escape, uh, get out on our own, and just bang through the stuff that we really want to talk about. Uh, and that has helped us a ton. You know, if we were doing the same number of takes when Chris is talking that we do when I'm talking, then you know, we'd be getting half as much content out and we'd be working 16 hour days. <laughs> well, I can relate to what you guys uh, do because I used to have uh, Connor McCaskill, who is my second shooter for Kinotika, and it was a similar workflow. Um, I, I was a magician for six years and um, I'm really comfortable on camera and on stage. So it really is just a bullet point system for me as well. And I could, I can relate to Chris on that. And I will say having a shooter really allows for that on the field shooting, like you mentioned. And I think in a way too, it really um, demystifies it a bit and makes it not as awkward when you're out in public. I, I mentioned this with, with Kai, he said, yeah, I just kind of have to be really awkward because I'm just filming myself talking about something ridiculous and Locke isn't there filming it for me. And 
you know, you being there with headphones with a camera makes Chris able to kind of perform and be a little bit more animated than if he was just vlogging himself because let's face it, it is a little awkward to just film yourself and be eccentric and, and on point. Well, just yesterday I was filming a piece for a video that's going up this weekend in my backyard. Uh, and cause we were done, I wanted to do some more testing before I talked about it. And yeah, I absolutely had neighbors just looking and the fence is in such a way they can't see the camera there. So I'm just a <laughs> dude in a lawn chair, just muttering to myself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, of course, I'm I'm sure I'm going to look a little bit less natural, a little more stilted in the final edit for that very reason. So yeah, it is great. You know, hey, everybody, if you can have a cameraman, yeah. get a cameraman. Yeah, no, it's easy to say, hey, just just get just hire a cameraman, man. Just get one. Yeah, just get yeah. one. You know, yeah. it's really easy. It's easy. Um, just be personable. <laughs> they all need friends. Cameramen are lonely people. You mentioned the jump cuts. Um, there was a video that I love where you secretly did jump cuts and you also um, didn't use indie filters and jacked up your shutter. And then the, the, the video after you said, hey, by the way, um, we this was a test and... <laughs> Unfortunately, it looks like you guys didn't notice. So, but but I don't care because I'm Jordan Drake and I still don't like it. So, <laughs> tell me about that. Like the per, not the perfectionism, but in a way, you you you're deciding to to hide your jump cuts. You're deciding to shoot at the proper shutter speed to use indie filters. I mean, we're you know Polar Pro makes great filters. By the way, plug plug everybody, go buy our filters. Everybody, go buy some ND filters. <laughs> Can you talk about that and why you're so gung ho about? you know shutter speed and jump cuts <laughs> well and i think it all comes from what you wanted to do i mean like i said youtuber wasn't really a job when i got started i wanted to be in film you know initially when i was in high school i thought i was going to be a director eventually i was like oh i actually really enjoy more the camera cinematography side of things uh so that's how i've approached the world and if you grab a cinema camera and you're like, I'm going to change the shutter speed. It's going to be like, are you sure? Like, are you sure <laughs> Is that a creative you want choice? to change? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and that's the world that I came from. So it didn't really occur to me because um, I liked the look of it. it. Whenever I saw something that was, you know, fast shutter speeds or when I saw a lot of jump cuts, it, it wasn't an aesthetic that I liked. But one of the great things about going on those press trips is you're talking to other people. And a lot of conversations were like, yeah, once we uh, cranked the shutter speed and started doing jump cuts, the views and the new audience just started to really go. So my question was, <laughs> am I out of touch to the degree that it's actually impacting my audience? Um, and what came out of it is, you know, not really. No one seems to care that much. So I do it because I'm still putting my face on this. And also I'm, you know, I would still like to DP the odd film every once in a while. I want to have something that I'm proud of out there. Uh, so that's the look that I love. I only know how to make what I would like to watch. Um, and I think that's the case. So many people are like, well, this is trendy. I'm going to do that. Uh, but if you don't like it, like, you know what? I don't like speed ramping. I've come to grips with that. That is not <laughs> a look that I appreciate. So I'm not going to do it in my episodes. But some people dig that. And if they do, I think they should throw that style in it. Um, that's the only way I could really look at it. Uh, yeah, the takeaway from that experience is I am absolutely slowing myself down uh, 
to get the look that I like. And I'm okay with that, but it did give me a lot of freedom. Like ever since we posted that video, a lot of B roll or second angles and stuff are iPhone footage now, uh, which is going to be shooting at that fast shutter speed, uh, with super deep depth of field, even if the shot really doesn't call for it. And you know, if it makes the difference between me getting that second angle that I might want or, you know, I'm not going to go back to the car and set up a second camera on a tripod, then it's great to know the audience is accepting of that. Uh, so I just always have that in the back of my mind, you know, every once in a while, straight out of camera audio, if it's a little, you know, aside that seems very candid, people are fine with that as well. Uh, so I just try to get as much as possible on the day because you never know when you'll get that little piece of magic that you wanted. Totally. And when it comes to ND filters, are you a variable ND fan or do you use straight ND? Oh, let's do this. I am a straight ND fan. I, uh, me too. Yes, High five. Yes. Uh, nothing drives <laughs> me crazier than when you have a fader on and you walk past a window and the reflection changes while you're moving exposure. And, uh, you know, flare can be a real concern with it as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I always say grab a two stop and a three stop. It'll cost you less than a variable ND. Uh, if you're in the shade, it's a two stop. If it's cloudy, it's a three stop. If you're in the sun, stack them both together for five stops and you're good in most situations. Uh, again, it slows you down a tiny little bit, but it's not, you know, pulling out a wallet of different filters and doing math to figure it out. It's a rough rule. Yeah. And again, cause I'm not always trying to shoot wide open, uh, in every single shot. There's, you know, if I have to stop it down to 3.2, because I have that particular ND on and the shot doesn't call for super shallow depth of field, then hell, I'll just change the aperture. Exactly. I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think it more so than the reflection issue, it comes down to the fact that even the best variable ND filters in the world still have uh, a slight tint to them or, um, you know, removes reflections and people's skin tone yep. can make them look a little bit muddy. Um, and the simple fact that a $20 <laughs> a straight ND is going to give you a cleaner image sometimes than uh, than a two hundred dollar VND because it's just a simpler technology and um, you know it's sunglasses for your your lenses and it's really simple. Yeah, and I do really recommend a lot of people I've found when I look at video kits they're not bringing polarizers out with them anymore. Uh, I think the variable ND we've learned to find all the flaws in using a polarizer and we're seeing those all the time but I love having in my back pocket yeah let's kill the reflection in the water or you know there's going to be cars in the shot let's get rid of the reflection of the clouds on it uh, and it does give you better looking skies so uh, I like having a polarizer there I just don't always want to have it on, which is inherently the case with a variable ND, or this is the exposure I needed for the shot, and now that dude with the sunglasses looks like he has ghost face. You know, it's terrible. <laughs> so what So what you're saying is your, your really recommended kit would just be a two-stop, a three-stop, and a polarizer. Just those three And you're filters. set. You're set. Nothing can stop you, yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's been over an hour now. We've had a great conversation. Again, reminder, everybody go check out Jordan's film, A Walk Down to Water, that he shot, um, directed by Levi... Levi Hallwell. Hallwell. Everybody go check that out. Jordan, is there anything that you would like to uh, kind of leave with somebody who's, who's just getting started in the kind of YouTuber filmmaking world things that you've learned that you would love to just share um, with somebody just now starting out? What's your kind of words of advice here? Yeah, I would just say make something that you 
yourself would enjoy and what made that channel blow up uh, back in camera store tv days is i said i think it would be funny to shoot a photography war scene so let's not tell the bosses we're doing it steal a whole bunch of gear for a weekend and go shoot in a parking lot for three hours uh and yeah i made that for chris and i because we thought it would be funny so go make something that you like uh, get good at that, you know, develop a skill set, and then start looking at, you know, how do I build my channel, things like that? How do I find an audience? I would say, uh, yeah, get the basics down, make something you love, and then your audience is going to start to find you, or you can start worrying about the other things. That's so well said. And I think it's very evident that that you and Chris have a lot of fun with your job. Sometimes it can be a lot of, I mean, it is a lot, it's a ton of work. Sometimes you get a camera and you got to put the video out in 24 hours or less. And that's just a lot of work and um, a lot of sweat and tears have been poured into what you do. But I think it's really cool that your friendship has continued to, it seems like it's just continued to get better and better over the years. And you guys clearly get along really well as, as people, as friends. And that's really special that you, you found that with each other. But no, what, what you and Chris have, have been able to achieve over the last decade is, is nothing short of extraordinary. And I, I'm excited to see, you know, the, the next decade, whether you, you stay um, with what you're doing now or you, you move on and do other things. I'm very excited to follow you. Everybody go follow Jordan on uh, on Twitter. Um, your Twitter account is... That Jordan Drake. Have you reached out to uh, the at Jordan Drake? Is that an open account? Uh, I haven't yet. I mean, I'm very happy with that Jordan Drake. It sounds very official. Uh, so... <laughs> So I'm delighted with that. And I found, uh, thanks to Michael Jordan and uh, Drake, Drake the Musician making a shoe together, I've become uh -huh. utterly ungoogleable. So that Jordan Drake <laughs> is very useful for me. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Uh, it looks like the straight Jordan Drake on Twitter posted uh, last month. So he is active. So you could Ooh. offer him some money. He might be willing to take it on it <laughs> but i think what you said is actually a good uh, good idea anyways thanks again jordan for being on the show and uh i look forward to seeing senior content in the future great to finally have a long conversation with you dave i'll see you again soon I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Jordan Drake. It was a real honor for me to interview him. I've been watching his videos for years and years and years on YouTube, and it was a real joy for me to hear the backstory of his creation on the Camera Store TV and hear about the transition over to DP Review TV now, and obviously to see his amazing short film, A Walk Down to Water. Again, a reminder, go check out this short film on filmshortage.com. It's available now. Definitely check it out it shows support to the filmmakers who make this and support for jordan you can also see a behind the scenes video on dp reviews youtube channel as well next week is going to be part one of our two-part series with my conversation with becky and chris another amazing youtube channel i highly recommend you guys listen to that and get ready for it subscribe to the golden hour podcast if you haven't already so that you're notified of when that show comes out again it's going to be a two-part series really excited to share that with you guys it was a really fun conversation with becky and Chris. And I'd again like to thank you all for listening every single Tuesday. Once again, I'm Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by Polar Pro, and we'll see you next week.